Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You're most very welcome, whether you're here for the first time or you've been here all along. As I record this episode today, it's Good Friday in 2023. And if you're one of those people who follows along live every day, I wish you a very blessed and happy Easter. During the next couple of days, I'm taking some time off to celebrate Easter with my family and my local church. So what I've chosen to do today is upload a special episode of a special Easter message recorded about a year ago at a church in Lancashire here in the UK. I do hope you find a blessing in it. And I'll be back on Tuesday after Easter Monday when we'll pick up the text again in Matthew. And if you're here for the first time and you'd like to make the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life, then just click on the subscribe button wherever you're getting your podcasts from. And that way you'll never miss another single episode. So with that said, it's bye for now. And I'll see you at the back end. Yes, the the reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll read the first ten verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace and you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Growing up, as I did in Northern Ireland in the early 1960s, I grew up with a tradition that around Easter time, every house would have a spring clean. In my very young years, I can remember, I was trying to work it out today, and I realized it was 1966 that we had fitted carpets fitted in our house. So I was telling this to Paul, and she had no idea what I was talking about. What I had is, in growing up, when you're a son of a missionary, what you have is you have a middle-class upbringing on an unemployed income. So, so we, we got our first fitted carpets in 1966. And, but before that, we had room-sized rugs. 
Does anybody else remember this? Or am I... They did, they're right, good. They did say growing up in Northern Ireland in the 1960s was the same as growing up in England in the 1940s, so maybe, maybe there's a few of us that can uh, appreciate what I'm saying. But part of my very early childhood, I remember around Easter time, my brother and I, my dad would tie a rope between two t- trees in the garden, and my brother and I would roll the carpets out, and we'd carry them out, and we'd hang them over the rope, and then my mum would come out, and we'd all beat the living daylights out of these carpets with this big spirally shaped metal thing, carpet beater. Is that ringing a bell with anybody? Good, yeah, it's not just me then. So, and I remember I, I really wanted to do it, but I didn't have the strength to wield any power. It sort of it used to just, the effort just to just absorbed in the carpet, but my mum could really welt this thing and you'd see the clouds of dust. So anyway, that was the tradition of the spring clean, and it was always during the Easter school break that my brother and I had to help roll up the room-sized carpet rugs, really, I suppose they were, and take them out in the garden. Some wives of that era, I remember, also tried to persuade their husbands that at that time of the year it was fitting for the husbands to buy the wives a new outfit. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Now, it may surprise some of you to hear that from a spiritual point of view, I think certain aspects of that are extremely appropriate. There is something about a spring clean, and there's something about getting, on, getting a new outfit and putting it on at Easter time that in some way communicates an aspect of the Easter story, that in some way the putting on of new clothes has a sort of theological significance. The opening verses that were read to us said this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, there are several things that happen and that have happened to us as a result of Easter. And the first of these is that the death and the resurrection of Christ has made us new. It has given and brought us who know Jesus new life. But in order to understand that, we need to first understand something else. In fact, this chapter, in the opening verse that we can see on the screen, it introduces the important concept of what's to follow by saying, first of all, you were dead in your sin, dead in your transgressions and sins. In fact, the whole opening verse of this chapter describes the fact that we were once spiritually dead. However, moving on the following verses, it says, He has made us alive, whilst at the same time referring to the fact that we were dead in our sins. So what is meant by this word dead when it says we are dead in our transgressions, we are dead in our sins? Christians believe that when we die, our bodies may slump to the floor, but the soul continues. And physical death is nothing but the separation of the body, the physical body, from the soul. So when the Bible tells us in this passage, and in many others, that we were dead, it's not quite talking just about physical death. It's talking about being dead in our spirits. 
So what, that begs the question, what does it mean when it says that we are spiritually dead? Well, the answer is it's talking about separation. It's talking about not being connected to our spiritual source. In the same way, we might say that electric hoover that my mum bought in 1966 is dead when it's not plugged in, when it's not connected to the power source. So the death that's being talked about here, and dead in the spirit, is a spiritual separation from God. And it's telling us that we were born that way. As a matter of fact, verse 3 clarifies that, that when it says, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It's saying, we, you, and I were born sinners. Now, I trust there's none of us here this morning who think we're perfect. If I was to ask you, have you ever committed a sin, I trust all of you would say yes. By the way, I've probably asked that question to over 100 people in my life, and no one until about 15 years ago had never said no to that question. But interestingly, today, if I ask that question particularly of a younger person, many of them today will actually say, well, they don't believe there is such a thing as sin. That's interesting. But I know in my heart of hearts that I am a sinner. And I know that the moment as a young child when I started to develop my sense of independence, I look back and I can see that at the same time I developed a sense of willful disobedience. Before I'd learned to walk or even talk properly, I feel I'd learned to deny responsibility. And some might say I'd even begun to lie. When mother said, who did that? I can recall from the youngest age when she said, who made that mess? Did you do that? My default answer would have always been no. That was one of the, one of the probably the first half dozen phrases that I said. And then when I got older and more developed still, I learned that I could blame my brother. It wasn't me. It was Simon. So the truth is, this passage tells us, I believe, that we are all, by nature, sinners. That's important to understand. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. I'm going to say that again because it's worth taking in. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That's just another way of saying that we all were born separated from God, disconnected from the God who loved us and created us. And because of that separation, we by nature want to disobey him. But verses 4 and 5 tell us that if we respond to God's love, then we might be made spiritually alive. If this perspective of being made alive is new to you, if you've not heard about this before, I understand that at this point you might be thinking, well, what does it mean and what do I have to do to get this spiritual rebirth? And that, my friends, is where Easter comes in. Let's go back a moment and take a quote from the previous chapter of Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.19, it says this, He gives his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty 
strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So this tells us that he is working in us as believers, and he's working in us by this thing that's called his incomparably great power, and it is this power that although working us, it's exactly the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Can you just take that in for a moment? That same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you if you know Jesus as your Savior. That power that was used is again available to raise us from spiritual death to spiritual life. Now probably everybody here knows the basic facts of the Easter story. Most people today know the events of the Easter story. They know that at Easter Jesus died and that he was resurrected. Some people also know that he died in what became known as Good Friday and that he was raised three days later. But just in case, let me tell you not the facts, but let me tell you what those facts mean. On Good Friday, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. I trust every one of us this morning recognize that we're sinners. Let's assume that we all know we're sinners. My hand goes up first, friends, and says, I am a sinner. The penalty of sin is death. The Bible says that over and over again. We can't ignore it. And Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay the price for the sin that I committed. Now, not just the things I got wrong in life and in my relationships with other people and the things I did, but more importantly, the things that I did against God's will. And then in three days later, Christ rose from the dead. And those events, those three days of Easter, that is all that was needed. That was everything that it took to make me or to make you right with God. Everything was settled that day. The day Jesus died on the cross, three days later, he rose from the dead. On that day, on resurrection day, everything was settled. And all we have to do is believe in that. All we have to do is trust in that. Every one of us here this morning is trusting in something right now. Some people trust in themselves. Some people trust in what they've done. But in order to have your sins forgiven, beloved, all you have to do is trust in Jesus and nothing else. Look with me at the next section of the main text, particularly verse 8. And God's raised up with Jesus and seated with him in, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the comparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ, in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Please note that verse 9 tells us it's a gift of God. It's not by works, and none of us can boast about it ourselves. Hear me and hear me well, friends. If you want to live a life that is powered by God, if you want to know that you're forgiven, if you want to know that all these things are assured for you today, 
You don't have to do anything. You don't have to come to church. But you don't have to do any of those things to be made right with God. And you don't have to do any of those things to be made right with a God who created you and loved you. The only thing you have to do is trust in Jesus. That and that alone. Look with me again at the text in Ephesians 8.10. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, because if it was of works, we could boast about it. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Do I have to tell you, friends, do I have to remind you that real gifts are absolutely free? Christ does not say, trust in me and I will give you temporary salvation. Although some Christians seem to believe that. The salvation offered by Christ is complete and free and we don't have to add anything to that sentence. And that's just the beginning of what Easter is about. That's just the beginning of what Easter can be for us today and every day. Look with me at what the following chapter says. Verse 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, And then it continues down in verse 20 where it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask to imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. So as well as gaining this new life at Easter, beloved, importantly we need to understand that we gain a new power. I need to unpack that for a moment. Because what does this mean? In and of ourselves, we are completely powerless. There are people out there who will tell you you can crack anything if you've got willpower. My friends, it's not willpower that we need. It's the power of the Spirit of God. And that is what is available to every Christian believer, the power of the resurrection of Christ Jesus The gift of God is not only salvation, it is the gift of God's power working in us. And that power is the real power of Easter, the resurrection power. If you trust in Christ and he comes into your your life, then his resurrection power is a gift that is available to you. More than that, it indwells you. That's an amazing statement and it begs the question, what in practical terms does this power that we have given do for us? We'll have a look at Ephesians 4 because that says this. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what is being said here. Power of God does something for us. We need to get rid of some old things 
and we need to put on some new things. Because when we embrace the message of Easter, we put on Christ and his salvation, and we put it on in a sense like a new coat. And then to grow in the knowledge of Christ, we have to throw off, throw out, take off the old stuff, take off the sins of the past, and put on the new Christ-like character. So the power we receive, is the, the power we are given, is the power to begin to live the Christian life. And that power that does that is exactly the same power that raised Christ from spiritual death to, to life. So how do we get this power? How do we live the Christian life? Well, it's a long, too long a scripture to put on the overhead, but if you want to follow with me, it's Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 25, and see if you can see yourself in any of these verses. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up and according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Can we reverse those characteristics just for a moment and see how we stand up? Do you ever tell lies? Do you ever get angry? Do you steal? Maybe you think, I don't do those sorts of things. Well, how about verse 29? Does unwholesome or corrupt talk ever come out of your mouth? Now, this doesn't just mean crude talk. It would be easy if it was just that, if it was crude talk or swearing. It can also mean disingenuously misrepresenting other people's character, their motives, or their opinions. What about bitterness? What about rage? What about anger, brawling, slander? What about all other forms of malice? That's a huge encompassing phrase, isn't it? Maybe you don't express those thoughts to other people. For some, perhaps, emotions and feelings of low self-worth might drive decision-making and make you consistently make the wrong choices and do things in your life that are destructive to both you, to either you or those that are close to you? Do you want to escape those lists of characteristics? Do you want to escape from living that type of life? That's what the power of God can help us put off, take off, That's what the power of God will enable us to get rid of. But what are we to put on? Go back to the list again, and it's verse 25. Instead of lying, speak the truth. 
Verse 28. This is interesting. Don't steal. Rather, go to work. And if you can't work for money, work for free. Volunteer. What is stealing when you think about it? Quite simply, it's taking out of society something that you're not really entitled to. But by volunteering, or for working for free, you're giving something back to society. Therefore, volunteering is the opposite of stealing. I'm right, Charles, aren't I, in the 12-step program, there is a point right at the end of the process where people are asked to give back to society. We've, I've heard about that when, we're, when we've talked talk to some of our guests on Monday evening who are going through that program. That's interesting and important. Verse 29 says, don't run people down. Our job as Christians is to encourage and to build people up. Even when we feel we recognize we can do something better than someone else, our job is to support them and encourage them and build them up and use our abilities to enable their abilities to be, to be as good as they, as God want, uh, would, would wish them to be. So rather than live a life like that, verse 31 tells us, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Why not try verse 32 instead? Let's be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. In order to grow spiritually mature, in order to be Christ-like, we all need to take off things. We all need to take off lying, stealing, corrupt thoughts and words, all anger and bitterness, and we need to all put on replace those things with speaking the truth, working hard, encouraging people, helping other people in need, and being kind to people, and most importantly, always forgiving people as Christ forgave us whilst we were still in our sins and even didn't know or care that he had done that for us. Here's the big point. It may seem tough, but remember, it's the power of the risen Christ that will enable you to do this. If we go back to the chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, let me in simple terms explain to you what God can help you to do by looking at these couple of verses. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, by being renewed in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you notice that right between verse 22, when it says we're told to put off, and verse 24, where we're told what to put on, verse 23, praise God, tells us how to do it. And we do this by being renewed in the attitudes of our mind. So we do this, what we need to do is have our mind renewed. And how are our minds renewed? It's really simple, beloved. It's by the word and by the Spirit of God. We're looking at his word together this morning. And by taking it on board, little by little, day by day, we too are having our minds renewed. You are being refined into the image of Christ, word by word, sentence by sentence, day by day. This is not an intellectual process when we come before God's word. 
It is a spiritual process carried out by God's own Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which now indwells the Christian believer. Once you've accepted Christ as your Savior, all you have to do is come regularly to him in prayer, come regularly to his word, and most importantly, don't fight with it. Don't contest with it. Take it on board. Depend upon it. God's Holy Spirit will give you the power to understand it and apply it in your life. And that's resurrection power. You may say, you know, I'm walking in the power of the Spirit. You can then say, Lord, even if you say, I don't have the power to do this on my own. I can't change my life in such a dramatic way. I can't do this on my own. That's fair comment. But you can say, Lord, give me the power to live in your Spirit. And Lord, help me surrender my life to you and the power of your Spirit according to your word. Now let me illustrate how this works, because that's easy to read. Let me try and give you a picture of how this works. Have you ever been ill or injured and needed help with someone to get you needed the help of someone to get you dressed? Has that ever happened to anybody here? See a few heads nodding. Or maybe have you ever tried to help someone who was incapacitated get dressed? Well, the person who's getting dressed needs to, at some level, cooperate in the process of having their clothes put on. Try putting a jacket on, or harder still, a pair of trousers on someone if they're not cooperating. What do you think happens if that person remains stiff and unyielding? The moving and wriggling that we all do, the slight adjustments, that'll help people put on, put on new things with. That's just how the power of God's spirits works in us. That's just how the power of the resurrection works As we do what God's Word says, as we try and live our life as God intended, the Holy Spirit cooperates with us and enables us to fill God's plans in our life. But it's our responsibility to to make some of the wriggle room. It's our responsibility to make the effort in the first place. It's not willpower. It's about launching out and trying. It's about saying to the Lord, help me, I need your power and your power alone to help me live the life that you want and to be the person you want me to be. That's how it works. Slowly at first, perhaps, but as you grow in your faith, things will become easier and will become more natural. And one more thing. Philippians 3, verse 21 tells us something extra about this power. Who by his power enables him to bring everything under his control. Think about that. Cooperating with God will gradually allow us to bring everything under his control and will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's interesting. What's this word lowly mean? It just simply means that our bodies are weak and they're subject to sin and they're subject to corruption. Now, some of you may know what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you, when you were wrong, abused your body in all sorts of ways. But a way, a very real way, we know this as we get older, because that's probably not the testimony for many here. But I'm sure many of you, as older people, are experiencing the degeneration of the ravages of time. Well, what this is telling us is in the eternal, it matters not. 
Because if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you get a new body. And the new body we get in eternity will not be subject to the wear and tear you have put your body or this body has experienced this side of eternity. Think about this. In eternity, it's the body you should have had had you lived without sin in your life. But not just your sin, the effect of sinfulness on all fallen humanity. You are free of that in eternity. Me, I can't wait for that new body. (laughs) I can't wait. This is what I'm talking about this morning as we approach Easter. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Hallelujah. And because he rose from the dead, we can have new life. Hallelujah. And all we have to do is trust in him. But because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we can also have access to a new power, a resurrection power. That means that you and I can begin and can become the new kind of person that God really wants us to be. And beyond that, cast pouring our eyes into eternity, because he rose from the day, we will one day even get a new body, a body that is fit for eternity. I want to close by making a simple observation. Two points. Now, firstly, there may be some of you here today who most of you have already made it to point one. So here's the question to see if you've got to point one yet. I'm going to make two simple observations, point one and point two. Point one and point two, but you can't think about point two unless you first of all considered point one. So point one is this. Do you know for certain that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? If the answer is no, then you're not a candidate for what I'm about to say in point two. If your answer is no to that question, then this morning on Resurrection Sunday, you can embrace the truth that Christ died for you and you can say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And you can trust in that and you can trust in Christ's resurrection and you can trust in that alone to make you right with God and know that all your sins are forgiven. So that's point one. But there's another group of people I want to speak to. I suspect many of you, perhaps most of you here this morning, have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Some of you will have grown up in a Christian family, in a church family, and at some point in your life have, at some level, embraced the truth of the Christian message. But here's what I want to know. Since that point, are you still growing in your faith? Are you becoming more like Christ every day, day by day? Are you full of joy? Are you full of forgiveness for others, full of love? Are you kind, and do you live a life of service to other people? Or do you still struggle with rejection, anger, and unforgiveness? Do you take out more than you put in? Perhaps the decision you need, to take to, uh, you need to take today is to say, Lord, I want to be the kind of person that you want me to be. I want to get into your word, and I want to depend on your spirit so I too can receive your resurrection power 
this morning, that power to really help me live my life. I imagine every one of us here today is in one of those two camps. However, whatever decision, whatever position you're in, I would suggest that every one of us has an opportunity to do something about it this weekend. You know, it is Easter weekend, and this too could be your resurrection weekend. God's own son, Jesus, died for you this day in order that you might be saved, but also in order to give you the power to do everything that we've talked about this morning. It can be your resurrection day too. It can be the day we celebrate a new life in you, and I really hope and pray that it can be that for someone this morning. Something that we can celebrate new life and new power as well in our lives. I'm going to finish by asking us to bow our heads in a moment, and I'm going to ask every one of us to make a decision. But that decision is between you and God. It's not between you and me. I'm going to ask you to make one of two decisions. However, please note, you can't make decision two unless you've already made decision one. Decision one you may make today, or you may have made it 50 years ago. It doesn't matter. But let's bow our heads. Decision one. Lord, today, for the first time, I've decided to come to you and ask for you to forgive me. I thank you, Lord, that you died, that I might have new life. And I want to trust in you right now, Lord. Lord, help me live the life this day forward that is honoring to you. I hand over my life to you, Lord Jesus, and for what you did for me on this Resurrection Sunday. Perhaps you made that decision already, hours ago, days ago, years ago. But here's decision two. Lord, I invite you into more of my life. Forgive me, Lord, that I haven't lived the life that you would always wish me to live. Forgive me that words have come out of my mouth, and maybe even for some harmful things I've done to my body and my spirit. Lord, I want to live a life more like your son, the Lord Jesus. Father, I'm promising that from this day forward, I will try and do that right now. I'm going to cooperate with the power of your spirit. But Lord, most of all, I'm going to depend on you to help me, to do it in me. Sovereign Lord, give me the grace, the peace, and the power to do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, friends, that's it for today. I do hope you find that encouraging. And I'd just like to take this opportunity to wish you a very, very happy and blessed Easter. 
I'll be back again tomorrow where we'll pick up where we left off last time in Season 3 in the Gospel of Matthew and I do hope you'll join me again then. Can I remind you that you can subscribe for this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from or when it's hosted on thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com On that site you should find lots of active links to other ways that you can connect to my ministry. Places where I make other free teaching resources available. Bible study courses, discipleship courses, that sort of thing. Places like YouTube, LinkedIn, Patreon, and there's even a, there's even a Facebook group there. So with that all said, thank you so much for your encouragement and for making the decision to join with this worldwide community as we work through the entire Bible. Lord willing, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, over how many years it takes. Thank you again for joining me, and I'll see you back here tomorrow. Well, it'll be tomorrow for me, whatever day it happens to be for you, on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>